You're listening to MeSearch. I'm Crystal. And my name is Dustin. We're two friends taking space and making space for other Filipinos to share their stories and insights. Join us as we talk to folks in the community to discover how they became trailblazers, business leaders, and bosses. Hey, Crystal. Hey, Dustin. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. <laughs> we had a successful launch. Oh, my goodness. Yes, how do you did. How do you feel? I was telling Michael yesterday because he was asking me, how do you feel? And I couldn't really put my finger on it until the end of the day mm-hmm. when we were um, about to go to sleep. I was like, it feels like my birthday. It feels like my birthday because it's just, you know, it's a new chapter, you know, like it officially was like a new chapter of our life. Like we launched this thing that we've created and it's taking on a life of its own now. Yeah. Now that it's just like out there. Yeah. And for everybody who um, may not be friends with us already listening to this podcast, Crystal and I have known each other for quite a long time, and we've made other ventures into... (laughs) (laughs) Tell them, boo. Tell them. We've tried to make other uh, money moves. We tried to sell. Um, we tried to sell wallets made out of duct tape at one point. Mm-hmm. That didn't get anywhere. <laughs> no, I think we manufactured maybe a small batch of duct tape wallets. Maybe over. We made them by hand. We made them by hand. You were so much better at making them than I was, for sure. <laughs> Yours are always like so clean and so crisp. And mine were kind of a little janky. No, they were they were fine. They, they were, were fine. fine. I need to give myself a little bit more credit, okay? They were fine. Yes, they were perfectly fine. We didn't sell any anyway, so I mean, it no. doesn't matter what they look like. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just ran out of supplies and we were like, ooh, this is expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and we gave up. <laughs> I think at the time we were, um, I mean, you and I would consider very uh, creative people. Mm-hmm. And perhaps at the time, we were just all about the creation and the art yeah, and the making, and we didn't have enough business savvy <laughs> <laughs> to actually like execute something that was valuable for other people. But now, I feel like we put a lot of thought into this podcast. I'm also very proud of, of even just releasing the first two episodes, because... These, this was months, months of discussion and planning. Yeah. This is something that will exist beyond us. Uh, what friendship yeah. can do. What did you eat for your launch party? What didn't I eat? <laughs> <laughs> Since we can't have an actual party, we had to, we had to have uh, remote and asynchronous food parties. One of the words of the year, asynchronous and also unprecedented. Ugh. It's like I have heard those two words used so much yeah anywho so let's talk about the foods we got some yummy desserts and drinks at creme caramel out here in van nuys i believe they're van nuys or no 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 i'm sorry no they are in sherman oaks we got uh an upside down ube cheesecake 
And um, for folks who who don't know me, I have never been a fan of Ube. And my Lola, she loved Ube. But so like every time, every every year when it was her birthday, she'd want an Ube cake and I would never eat that cake. And it was like deep down very hard for me because I love me some birthday cake. But it was always Ube. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, I grew up like not liking Ube. But my palate is shifting once again. And my palate is opening up to Ube flavors, finally. And so we got an Ube upside down cheesecake. It was freaking delicious. We got a buko pandan uh, leche flan, which was also fabulous. Um, and then we also got an Ube horchata drink. And it was delicious. Nice. Um, and then for dinner, we went to Petit. Ooh, still going, huh? We're still going. <laughs> when we, okay, listen, when we celebrate, oh man, and there's food involved, you can expect food to happen all day. So we went to Petit Peso out in downtown, um, and I got some kare kare. Also, another dish that I did not grow up liking. Dude, that's my fave. Is it? Yeah. Oh, damn. Well, you know what? You need it. I only like it when my mom makes it, though. Oh. To be honest. Okay. okay. I've had it at restaurants. I'm like, this doesn't have enough meat. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the meat. Where Where's is the it? Meat? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we went to Petit Peso. I chose to get Kare Kare. And then they have this out of this world adobo. French dip, y'all. If you are in downtown LA, you need to check out Petit Peso and get their um, adobo French dip because that is next level deliciousness, let me tell you. I saw the pictures you posted. Delicious. Mm. Delicious looking. I didn't get to eat it, but, you know, I was jealous. (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. What did you eat to celebrate? We went to Cafe 86 in Chino. Mm. And we stocked up on sweet, sweet goodies. I usually go get ube truffles like every year for my birthday Mm. um, from them. They're so good. They're my favorite. I don't want to describe them incorrectly, but how I've been describing them is they're kind of like ube cake balls and they're coated in like a chocolate cookie crumble. Oh, so good. Ooh. So So I picked up six of those. I picked up two like ube butter bars. I, I picked up an ube crinkle cookie, ube cheesecake, and um, a hollow hollow drink. Mmm. Yum. Yeah, I'm glad I stocked up because now I get something something fun to eat every morning. Absolutely. <laughs> How the morning should begin every morning. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Did you watch the VP debate? I caught. Like the the last part of it, we did get to experience the fly moment, (laughs) (laughs) but that is the least of our worries because we have to talk about the substantial things and policies. Um, But yeah, I, I definitely want to watch the entire debate after work today. We got to make sure to vote. Our lives truly depend on it right now. I... I am quite fearful because what we have right now, y'all, it is not working. And that's just my two cents. And that's just my perspective. You can disagree with me. But for me, I just feel like what's happening right now 
is troubling. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Did you get to watch the debate? I watched pieces of it streaming. I also caught the fly debacle. Mm-hmm. I think politicians in general are just very, uh, very skilled at evading questions. Oh my gosh. Wow. I like tried to pay attention and I was like, you didn't answer the question. And I feel like that, like granted that I feel like that happened on both sides, but I feel like. Uh, yes, absolutely. I feel like one side didn't answer more questions than the other side. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I Right. Politicians are very good at evading or dodging questions. Yeah. There's no such thing as a 100% perfect candidate or perfect ticket. Sure. I think the way that our system works right now is you just have to vote for the one that is in alignment with most of your values. Sure. Yeah. I think there are crappy things that everyone has done. If you're in office for that long, times have changed. Your opinions will change. Your actions will change. So, of course, there's going to be things that you've done that people disagree with. But what is the plan immediately for the future? And is that going to work based on what you value in this moment? Give it. Yeah. What's the blueprint? What steps are you going to take? We want to know because we can't just keep dreaming about how we can maybe have this perfect, you know, place that we get to exist in. I'm tired of dreaming. I'm tired of hoping. So let's freaking make it happen. And that is also in part of how we participate in that conversation as well. So everyone, Mm -hmm. everyone, all hands on deck. All hands on deck. All hands on deck. Yeah. <laughs> Give them to me. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so as you'll find out, we've got a guest who is very interested in the political process as well. Mm-hmm. Her name is Francesca Fernandez McKenzie, and she's an actor and a graduate of the Master's in Fine Arts Acting program at Yale School of Drama. And alongside other Yale School of Drama graduates, Francesca helped launch the Encompass Collective. Uh, And the Encompass Collective is a group dedicated to making acting lessons more accessible, particularly for folks who are Black, Indigenous, mixed, or persons of color. Let's get started. Okay. All right. All right. So welcome, Francesca Fernandez McKenzie, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. And thank you for suggesting that we open a bottle of wine. Um, And in some of our cases, a box of wine, which is totally, I'm totally down for that. That's how I roll. Heck yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Here for it. Here for it. I didn't have any wine, so I'm drinking whiskey, but I'm still participating in the fun. I feel like yeah. that you, you're participating yeah. the most with whiskey because that is an excellent <laughs> choice for a Thursday Woo-hoo. night. Yeah. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> it's going to be great. Real quick, before we jump into the actual questions, can I ask how the two of you know each other, Crystal and Francesca? Yeah. We, we both were applying for grad school at the same time. I think we were auditioning for UCLA. Yes. Yes, it was UCLA. And we d- I did that Filipino thing where you see someone, you're like, I think they're Filipino, and you get immediately excited and feel connected to them. Or at least that, that is. Yeah. And we, I, I, we, I don't know who went up to who, but we went up to each other, and we, you were like my friend for that whole experience, and we had lunch together. I, we did. 
It was so cute. It was so nice. Well, it was just nice to feel like, oh, okay, the, you're Filipino, so you know, like, what I'm going through. Like, let's hang out. Let's hang out. Let's yeah, be together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I just chose to go back to school for acting. Um, I was, like, two years in, maybe two, three years in school, and I was – I had just graduated from my undergrad, finally, and – I felt alone, you know, I felt alone. I didn't know anyone else who was Filipino who was doing what we were doing. And then when I saw, when I saw you, I was like, I need to talk to her because this is very isolating and I just need a friend. And we became friends. Yeah. And here we are. It felt very natural. And it's just funny because I don't think we've had a real conversation with each other, actually, like since then, since that moment. And yeah. yet I still feel like you're my friend because of Instagram, because we followed each other and I just followed you the whole time we were both in school and after. And so I just feel like I know you. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I feel like we still need to catch up and talk about our experience of grad school. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's a whole, I mean, I feel like that's a big part of the work I'm doing now is from out of that. That was such an important part of my life, like a, a very shifting time. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Grad school will break you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On that note, tell us about the Encompass Collective. Yes. So the Encompass Collective, we are a group of teaching artists that were trained at the Yale School of Drama. And we are offering consultation and coaching and acting courses all for Black, Indigenous, mixed people of color and pay what you can. Actually, our first courses started in September, September, like the week of September 17th, 19th. And our classes are totally full, more full than we thought because, you know, we just use some social media. We honestly were like, what are the resources we have available to us right now? Let's utilize them and just created an email, created a part out of my actor website. And then all our classes got filled and we're continuing to get people to come in. And I think it's... It's been exciting because the four of us are friends and collaborators and we all went through the acting department MFA program and we have had similar experiences and perspectives on what that was like and what it's like to be a person of color in the industry. And it feels nice that like we're trying to create spaces that we wished we had when we were becoming artists and coming into our own as actors and we wanted to create spaces like that for for actors now. And it's nice to see that people want it, that people want the space. And the spaces have been truly beautiful and brave and inspiring and transformative and political. And and it's just been a really wonderful experience. And we I don't know how I don't know what's gonna come of it, but this is where we're at right now and we're we're flowing, which is nice. That's so nice to hear that you have been able to create something that's accessible mm -hmm. and meaningful for a lot of people of color that might not otherwise get the opportunity to do the stuff that you get to do um, and to be creative in the way that you get to be creative. Um, I want to take us back to that time that you made the decision, hey, this is something that the community needs. And I want to start the Encompass Collective with other folks in the community. How do you think being Filipino influenced that decision and that journey for you? Yeah, well, 
Well, it's interesting because I feel like the Encompass Collective came out of a means for survival, like a Brecht play (laughs) to a degree where we are actors, we're freelance artists, unable to do the work that we've been trained to do and love, which Mm. is storytelling with our whole bodies and spirits and... Then you get into this place with COVID where you're like, oh, I'm not essential. (laughs) Mm. And what is my worth if I am not working, which I think is Filipino and also capitalist. Mm -hmm. And then also wanting to be a person for others, which I think is Filipino, which is maybe colonial Catholic as well. But I like to Mm -hmm. think about it as like the shared identity, like Kapwa, Mm. that I am who I am because of you and you are me and I am you and... Or at least that's how I I interpret that sort of part of Filipino culture that I've learned from my teachers, Lenny Strobel, and like the teachers at the Center for Bi-Bilance Studies. And so then when we decided to do the Encompass Collective, it was first a means of survival for ourselves and then also offering from our skills and what we do have available to us. How do we offer that to our community and make it accessible for everyone? And this might be Filipino for me, but I think it also might be my political leanings, which is that, like, I believe that art should be accessible to everyone. I believe that everyone is artistic. I think that I had to challenge myself a lot in my early 20s of, like, I'm not an actor. It's just a hobby. Oh, but it's Mm. it's not a big deal. And it took me a long time to come around and, like, just admit to myself that I was a storyteller, that I was an actor, that I was that I loved theater and I loved telling stories. And then once I was able to accept that, the whole world opened up for me in a way that I didn't even think was possible. And I think that I would love to create, I I knew I wanted, my collaborators and I, the collective knew that we wanted to create spaces where students could feel that way and artists could feel that way about themselves and feel empowered, separate from any sort of like degree from a high Ivy League institution or like credentials or whatever. It's like being an actor, like you don't need to go to school. You can. And what a blessing and what a gift at times. And also what a trauma (laughs) in a fuck, you know, oops, (laughs) like a fucking colonized environment with like Western pedagogy trying to colonize your mind. Right. Ooh, dang, that's deep. Right? Yeah, it's I I really appreciate also this pay what you can situation because I feel like folks forget how elitist and classist theater is <laughs> you know like when people think about the theater they think about going to like in LA like the Pentagious, you mm. know right and it's like an excessive amount of money just to watch a show and not everyone can watch this show at the Pantages and that is so deeply seated in the classist and elitist environment of the theater. And it's so interesting how the theater feels like it's supposed to be so inclusive and, and um, this space where anyone can play and live, but it also is not that way as a theater goer and also as a student, like how expensive is theater school. And then it goes back to like what we're what we're learning in, in the classroom. Yeah. And I think something that is also, I think, being very Filipino is that it's in our blood to be storytellers. Like our culture yeah. is deeply oral based, like oral storytelling and relating to others and needing to be in connection with others. And I 
I agree. I have those frustrations about art and elitism. But at the end of the day, what brings me to storytelling and to acting and to theater and film and TV and is like the desire to connect with others and tell stories, you know, which to me feels Filipino. We're so artistic. We're mm -hmm. so creative, you know. And then there's like a desire and need of being able to uplift that, like how creative and emotional our our people are and like it's frustrating our stories are often not at the center and not, most often than not invisible mm. and it's fun to feel like I am an actor because this in itself is a revolutionary act and the stories that we're trying that the stories that we're telling and the things that are universal but specific to our people mm -hmm. to being Filipino American I think is really important and exciting you know yeah let's tell those stories yeah absolutely so you went to Yale. How did it feel being in an institution that's already um, inaccessible to so many people, being a person of color um, in your program? Yeah, it was wild because, I mean, I applied to that school because Lupita Nyong'o won the Oscar. And I was like, what? You could go there for acting? What is this? And having a desire to get out of New Orleans because I felt like, I was tired of being the only Asian person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even though I love New Orleans so much, I felt like sort of just lost. And it was such a wonderful opportunity because I only applied to schools that would pay. Because mm. I knew I was like, I cannot go to school for acting and be in debt. Okay, I learned that from my immigrant mother and my, <laughs> you know, my dad's. I have two, I have a uh, a dad who raised me and then my biological father is Filipino. So I have like an American dad and a, Filipino dad and they they care about me making money mm -hmm. and working and all these things and so I went to Yale and it was a dream because I did not think I, I was so surprised that I got in and I was so happy to do that and also that I didn't have to be hugely in debt and then I read this article before I applied for school it, it was called MFA versus POC mm. By the author, I forget his name, he's a Puerto Rican, New York-based author. I'd have to look him up. But um, he wrote this whole article about like what it kind of means to be in an MFA space as a person of color navigating like white supremacy and the pedagogy that's very like cis, white, you know, and that sometimes you can feel a bit lost or displaced or that you don't belong there. And so that was like a big part of my time at Yale because there was a lot of equity, diversity, inclusion work going on at the time that I came. And it was, you know, complicated and slow and messy and bureaucratic and frustrating and all the things. But at the end of the day, I was grateful for you know, a time where I could focus on who I was as an artist, whether that was in resistance to certain factors around me, but also like in gratitude to the time that I had there to like meet collaborators that inspired me that I wanted to work with, to be in community with other artists of color that were going through similar things or first generation artists that had similar identities to my own. Yeah, but it was, it's, I wouldn't tell, I would tell people not to go. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's messed up because I did go and I would say it was a good experience, but like, I think that you can get those things in many other ways as well. You can get those, you can become an experienced actor through experience. You know, you don't necessarily have to go to grad school, but if that is your path then you can get a lot out of it. I just think it's like that a lot of the pedagogy is old and needs to change and can be oppressive if you don't know how to 
you know, protect yourself and your ancestors. Yeah, I I feel like because it has been so white centered for so long and folks are trying to figure it out, figure it out. It's like they still don't know they they don't have a clue. And we're kind of I feel like sometimes I've fell through the cracks. I feel like a lot of institutions are like that. They're like irresponsible. Yeah. Mm, yes. <laughs> They're irresponsible and old and behind on the times. You know, it's like, get with it. <laughs> it's ironic, though, because from what I've seen, especially on LinkedIn, because everyone wants to post on social media about how awesome they are, higher ed institutions, and everyone just touts, we're top 50, top 10, or whatever the list is. And they talk about all of their accolades, but it's like, dude, you still suck at, you know, just the basic accessible, like serving people of color things. Yeah. And I mean, maybe these times will change some stuff. I hope it does. Like I am optimistic because now in, I'm always, I'm trying to see the lemonade, you know, cause there's so many lemons nowadays and it feels really overwhelming. But when we think about the lemonade, it's like, this can be a time of being a great equalizer Mm -hmm. Like you have the time if you truly commit to undoing racism in your institutions, in decolonizing your pedagogy, are you are you going to do it? And if not, then we're going to tell people that maybe they shouldn't go there. You know what I mean? There's I feel like like I do believe in people power. I believe in people power. I believe there's strength in numbers. Perhaps it's not as much as like these huge billionaires and whatever, but that I can't focus on that or honestly, I'll go crazy. What I can focus on is what I can do. And what I can do is create a world that I envision to be just to all people and to be loving and to be, you know, full of beauty and stories and and access to all resources. I don't know. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like I can yeah. only focus on being present in that. But it is super hard, very hard, you know, especially as artists, as Filipinos. It's like we I feel like there's things that we understand about these times based on our history Mm -hmm. that make us very important. You know, like Filipinos get the job done always and like take care of others always. Yeah. Like we understand. Like I feel so many of my, my Filipino friends and I like we understand Black Lives Matter. We know that to be true. We know that in our in the stories of our families and like what we see in the world, you know? Right. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Francesca. You're listening to Me Search, a podcast featuring Phil and Perspectives. We've interviewed some really inspirational people so far, and it's been such a gift to learn from folks in the community about what it is they do and what it is they experience as Filipinos. Let us know what you think. Rate us and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Catch new episodes on the first and third Wednesday each month. Francesca, tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you and your colleagues have faced with getting Encompass Collective off the ground? I mean, there is a level of like, you know, we're relative. I was teaching before grad school, but I haven't really taught like this since. So wanting to make sure that I'm being a good teacher, you know, like wanting to make sure I I hold the space 
so that people feel safe and they feel brave and that they can be spontaneous and they can try things and experiment. And, you know, we know Crystal and I, you know, we were talking about sometimes teachers can be hella traumatizing and they can sometimes say the thing that stays in your head for years and years. And I just would hate that. I just want to be a teacher who is able to help artists grow into who they are and not, um, yeah, to help them grow into who, to how they're special and that their specific, like their specific story is important to tell. You've been doing this work for a while. What is the biggest ask you've seen of the students that you've been serving thus far? Many of them want to go to grad school. And sometimes some of them kind of take it as like, oh, the golden ticket. Like if I go to grad school, then everything's going to be set. And I think it's important for them to know like Mm. it just means it's an opportunity to take space to like know yourself as an actor and train. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everything's set. Like you're still going to have to hustle. You know, that's just the beginning. Yeah. You know, you're that you're you're in the gym. Okay. Mm. You gotta go into the Coliseum. And I think it's important for I think something that comes up for me that I, I think is important for the students to understand. It's like we just gotta we have to be resourceful to understand the system as it is and not as like an indication of our self worth or value and making sure that we take care of ourselves and our artists that are separate from like the industry and capitalism and like putting a money value on our bodies, you know, mm. or our brand and making sure that the artist is, is like being strengthened and taken care of, you know, it's important to be a savvy business person. Don't get me wrong. I think it's important mm-hmm. to be strategic and resourceful and to understand, to read a room, to understand like, Social identity, I think all of that's really important, but I also think it's important to take care of the artist child, you know? Yeah. It's in this industry, it's so hard to feel like you're enough. Ugh. Yeah. Especially as a Filipino woman, it's like, where do I even belong? Where have I seen myself? Oh, wait, I haven't. So, like, what the fuck am I doing here? You know? Yeah. But so I've been going where I do feel seen. That's great. Like the underlying thing, right, is to be seen. And it's like, how can I don't know, maybe fuck the industry then. (laughs) You know, sometimes (laughs) it is like, (laughs) you know, it's, I understand that, that sentiment for sure. And I think that's partially why I continue to, and it's like a struggle too for me. It's like, but going up and down of like, what is my worth? Because my worth isn't about like this audition or this person's perception of me. You know, or people that look like me. <sighs> the struggle. <laughs> but it does feel good to, like, find where the other things are. Like, look at your podcast. Like, look at the other things. There's, like, so many things that do give me life on a daily basis. And that does feed my work. You know, that feeds my my art, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because my observation has been that especially in creative spaces or any space, really, that is dominated by white people or the dominant culture for everybody else who's trying to make it they have to create those spaces for them and that's Mm -hmm. exactly what crystal and i are trying to do with this podcast we want to be in there and take up space and i feel like you've had to do that obviously with encompass collective and that's like definitely not unique to people of color and people who are struggling to be seen and find access to things. They have to be, like you were saying, resourceful. You have to create those spaces for yourself if you don't have access to them. Yeah, I agree. And I think 
it's I, I have gotten to a place where I really love the stories that are about my people. Like I care about making art that I like too, you know, mm-hmm. and that is really important to me. Mm-hmm. Art for yourself, not for other people. Yeah, and it's been really wonderful. Yeah. Like since school, I've connected with so many Filipino American theater artists and like have been able to be in a rehearsal room where everyone's Filipino. And that to me is very exciting and healing and important to me. And that's all that matters. Honestly, if I've learned anything from going to Yale School Drama, it's like what matters is my definition of what good work is. And if I can stand by that, then I'm then I feel successful. You know? Absolutely. You are a leader in the acting world. And I don't feel that way at all. It's so funny. This is like the imposter syndrome. I'm like, <laughs> but you are, you are, you are a light in the acting world. You are a light to people of color, especially the Filipino community right now. Like just, it's so nice to hear what you're doing, especially coming from like when we met, it's like, what has happened? All the amazing. So what's one thing you're most proud of? And I will call you a leader in the acting world because you absolutely are. What is one thing you're most proud of as a leader in the acting world? It's so funny. Sorry if you, my mom turned the AC on. So if you hear it, I apologize. That's so, bad. <laughs> so I was like muting myself. I hope it's not so bad. It's so funny to be like, leader, I feel like a loser right now. You know what that's like? <laughs> like global pandemic? dictator maybe dictator light white men running the country all the time it's like it's so fun it's just nice to hear other people's perspective this is why like humans are social creatures and it's important to talk to other people it's nice to hear you say i'm a leader i'm like what thank you (laughs) to me a leader i think is somebody who opens the door for other people and uplifts other people who might not otherwise have the same opportunities as people in power And I feel like the work Mm -hmm. that you're doing as an actress telling stories that are not stories that people hear in mainstream media and you as an educator giving opportunities for young actors and actresses and people who want to learn more about storytelling in general, like that in itself is you practicing leadership because now you're opening up opportunities for other people. Thank you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't know, man. I feel (laughs) it's funny because I'm like, I am here because of others is how I feel. You know, I am here. Yes, I, I have my mind. I have my spirit. I have my heart. But like they have all been informed by my experiences and the people that I am in relation to and the ones that I have come across like you, Crystal, and just everyone. It's like we are in this together. It feels Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have people that were in it together, and it's it's interesting because now it's cool to see who's coming out of the woodwork that are friends or people I've known from long ago, and being like, I'm seeing what you're doing, and I think it's important, and I want to connect because this is how I want to connect with people, especially in these times. Like, how do we make the world we wish to see? How do we say yes? We do see the <laughs> we do see that we have a racist president who 
cannot say that white supremacy is wrong. We are dealing with like the systemic murder of black people in this country over and over again. And it's amazing and beautiful that a majority of America does see this truth because for a long time it feels like people don't see it. But now it's right. like, it's all out in the open, folks. You bet you got to pick or choose because it's going to be very clear, okay? Like, yeah. history is, ha- is upon us right now. And I think, I guess, in terms of being a leader in the acting world, that's what I'm doing. I'm like, I know what side of history I am on. I know what kind mm-hmm. of world I envision for our future, chi- for our children, for our descendants. And let's let's make that happen in a loving, enjoy, fun way. <laughs> in a pleasurable revolutionary way and that's a very filipino thing too you know it's like the more that we learn about our filipino history how much revolution is in our blood mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how much resisting imperialism colonialization like that is in our blood and and we continue right. to forgive and we continue to heal and we continue to hold space for others that is strength that is absolutely strength and I think slowly, I I feel like there, I'm still waiting for some folks in our community to realize how revolutionary we are in our blood, as you say, like, we have, we fought, right? We fought, we have been, we still fighting. fight, we are still we fighting still Duterte fight. now with the junk terror bill. you know and this is this is it's a part of our identity it's a part of it's our culture you know it's like they try not they try to keep that history away from us but once we do begin like a path of decolonization like as you can't it's undeniable Mm -hmm. you can't go back like you you can't unsee you can't unread you can't unfeel the oppression that our ancestors had to go through um and we're still fighting their fight we are still fighting their fight. And for folks who have not maybe discovered the the idea of decolonizing our minds, I hope you I hope you open up a book or talk to us because we need to keep finding community and strengthening our community. We need everyone on deck, you know? We really do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to be coming to terms with so much of our history so that we can be the leaders that our ancestors have been hoping and wanting, I feel still wanting us to be. We must. We must. What else is there to do? And to lean into our strengths, to be a storyteller, however that is to you, I think is so important right now. We got this. We can do this. We can do this. Come on, everybody. Come on, everybody. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Can I say something in response to what you were saying about the Filipinos who maybe don't, like, are not on a path around decolonization? Because there's many. I have a dad who Mm -hmm. is voting for Trump. Oh, my God. (laughs) Jayla, what's wrong with you? You're in the sunken place. You know? I was doing, I did a play for like seven months about Gloria Steinem. So I was just talking about Gloria Steinem like every day for a really long time. And one of the things that she used to say is like, if there are people who disagree, who don't see the patriarchy, who don't recognize these injustices, you got to just move on. 
you got to just kind of go with the ones who do like because we don't have time to drag you like we got to go like go to the people who are saying yes and the other thing too that i have to practice on a like a daily basis is like radical empathy of recognizing that i come from like a decolonized mind which was passed down to me by my parents by my grandparents and they themselves they learned those things out of survival and that they love me and that they want the best for me and sometimes the things the way that they show their love is different than mine you know and that it's Mm. like we're all in these different we're all on these different paths but like my path is like for them too i i i definitely have a hard time letting go of when folks in my family or friends that i know you know can't can't see or like don't want to listen I just like, I like stomp my feet and I'm like, meh, 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 meh. Why, 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 why? Forever, forever, forever. I can't stop obsessing. But you're, you're absolutely right. Like we're wasting time, like huffing and puffing over (laughs) like the. I'm the same. And I'm like, I, my politics get in my bed all the time. And I get so angry, you know, it's like, oh, patriarchy, sexism, but like I'm jumping, I'm ready to get hurt. Mm. I'm having to learn how to how did I separate my politics so I can actually be loving to others. It's super hard. Because <laughs> we want to be loving, right? That's what we yeah. actually want yeah. ultimately when we get yeah. rid of the hurt and the defensiveness and the rage, like the 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 just rage. The, rage. <laughs> the just the just rage. But then you're like, I actually just do want to be loving. I want to be in connection to others. How do you navigate that relationship with your father who's um who has such different political beliefs. Well, we're not speaking right now. Do you envision yourself having a relationship after the election? I don't, yeah. I mean, I think I'll always be connected to him. That's something like with acting, we know it's like, it's Mm -hmm. so much harder to stay angry at someone. Of course, I will always like love my family, but it's hard. Sometimes I don't like them. Sometimes they hurt me. Sometimes to protect myself, I need to not be in relation to them for a bit. Right. But the love is there. Yeah. And I think it's so, it's so hard because like in our, in our culture, there's so much emphasis on having to respect your elders and respect your family members. And it's like, it's not like we want to separate ourselves from them. You know, it's not like we want to be like so angry or make these like hard choices so that we keep our sanity and take care of ourselves too. But I feel like there's so much stigma on taking care of ourselves as well in our in our culture where we we get lost and like there's so much resentment and so much anger that we can't process like if we need that time apart, like we we're just like stuck and it becomes like this dysfunctional, weird thing. And we can't fully be present or we can't fully love if we're just like, you know, maybe mm-hmm. at maybe the space will be better. I don't know at some point. I I, I don't know. But I think a lot of people can relate to that. Francesca, can you reflect back on that moment that you decided, hey, I want to be an actress. And you told yourself, yes, this is who I am in my soul. I am a storyteller. 
let me begin this journey of actually pursuing this wholeheartedly. What might you say to your younger self in that moment, knowing all of what you know? There's enough room at the table for you. So get out of your own way. Is anyone else crying out there? <laughs> that is how I feel. I feel that's how that's how our classes. I feel like that's like a big thing about Encompass Collective. It's like how do we act if we really think about it? It's like the things we can control is like getting out of our own way. Heck yeah. yeah. Get out of your own way. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah, fuck Jump the patriarchy. In. Fuck white supremacy. Fuck all that shit. And let's do it. You know? Let's like, fucking do it. Okay? Do it. <laughs> wow. Ugh. That was a really good answer, by the way. That's it. That's. I was like, am I going to go out? No, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's it. exactly yeah. what you know. my ancestors just spoke to me and I just repeated them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So is there anything new and exciting that you're working on right now that you want us to keep an eye out for in the future? Yeah, I've been... Okay, this is good that I'm talking about it because it's going to make me actually put more time to work on a new draft, but I've been writing... A play during quarantine, which is the most cliche <laughs> actor thing. I'm with you. I I'm writing a play. Actually with you. Oh, well, I've been writing a play with all my time like, and crying and drinking wine. <laughs> but I am writing a play and it's been very exciting because I think I've taken a really long time to actually write an idea, you know, ideas that I've had for forever. And it's been the, the, the lemonade, the silver lining of quarantine for me has been the time because I was hustling, w running around New York City, doing three different jobs, living in the Bronx, like loving the actor hustle, loving it. But then after getting furloughed and like quarantine and not being able to do that and just being in my apartment, I was like, do I like myself? Do I like the person I'm around? And also, let's take care of that. And then look at all this time I have to do all the things I really want to do as an actor, as an artist. And being able to do that. And so I wrote this play and it's like a generational play that has been in my mind. And this is the crazy story is that it's like a it's about like the first act is set right before the end of the Duterte. Uh, sorry. The first act is at the end of the Marcos regime. So it's like 1960. It's 1986. And then yeah. the second act is in the same house. It's like a family house in Antipolo. And it's like the descendants of the family fighting over the house. And it's 20 uh 16 and it's right before Duterte is going to become president <gasps> and it's just like about you know Filipinos like about, I'm trying to like connect with my Filipinos as a Filipino American mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how do I tell this story around like imperialism colonialism land family like being Filipino like being Filipino American all those things so it's exciting and then I told my biological father this was before we stopped talking but like I was talking to him about the story and he was like oh yeah my family had a house in Antipolo and I knew this part which is that his family they were the accountants for the Marcos regime and it's always weird to hear him talk about the Marcos administration and I'm mm -hmm. like the Marcos dictatorship you mean and the play is about a family and the fought, the the patriarch is also the accountant, accountant for the Marcos regime. So I told him, I didn't tell him that, but I told him about, you know, what the play was about. And he was like, oh, yeah, actually, my uncle, who was the one who ran the accounting firm, his sons fought over their house in Antipolo. And the sons' names were the same as the characters in my play. And I he had never told me 
their Whoa. names before. And I was like, are you kidding Whoa. me? He's like, yeah, I think their their names were um, Antonio and Gabriel. And I was like, those are literally the names of the brothers in my play. No way. Yeah, so that's some like crazy ass <laughs> shit. I was like, okay, I got to finish this play. <laughs> that, if that isn't a sign... Yeah, speak truth into existence. Yeah, the yeah. universe is saying, write this shit. Write this play, <laughs> write it. That's what I feel like. It's going to be my, that's going to be my quarantine piece of art. <laughs> <laughs> it's my play. <laughs> I love it. I love yes. it. Yes. So if if folks want to reach you to talk about what you're writing, or if they want to uh, take a class with you, how how does one reach you? Well, all of my social media handle is the same across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that. So you can find me by just searching Cheska, so C-H-E-S-K-A, Mackenzie, because Chesco is my nickname, because, you know, Filipino nicknames. So yeah, just, you can follow me at Cheska Mackenzie. Go. Do it. Do it now. Say hi. Do it now. Follow. Reach out. Take a class. Bully her into to writing her play. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> Tough love me. Tough love me. <laughs> okay, so Francesca, final question. What has put a smile on your face lately? I mean, y'all really Aww. put a smile Aww. on my face. I am. It's so funny. I'm usually used to just kind of being on my own and COVID has made me be like, girl, you don't want to die alone. So I've been dating, (laughs) which is so funny. How do people date during COVID? (laughs) Well, it's very fascinating because I've only done videos, honestly. And then thankfully, I did meet one person in person and he ended up being really wonderful and amazing. And so I've just been spending time with him. So it's been a very like love in the time of COVID sort of situation, which is very extraordinary and hard and good to break out of some old habits that I have but um crazy time because it's kind of like a situation where we have to be like okay did you take a test how long was your last exposure okay when we hang out we're gonna hang out for 18 days like it's like a very different dating landscape (laughs) you should write a play about that too maybe that's the next one depending on how long this quarantine goes so Aw, well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a wonderful conversation with you. I am so happy to reconnect with you outside of the Instagram world. (laughs) Um, And yeah, everyone, this was Francesca Fernandez McKenzie. Thank you for having me. Salamat. That was a really, really good conversation. Uh, wasn't it? And I feel like I have learned a lot from Francesca and her experiences with acting and making acting accessible and Ivy League institutions and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that you and I have talked about a lot, Crystal, is that representation representation is so important. How we define representation, I think, is a deeper conversation What are your thoughts on how Asians and Filipinos are represented? (sighs) Representation matters. Absolutely. But when when I assume there is a Filipino person who is playing a character um, on TV, more than likely, their character is not specifically Filipino. 
They are just generally Asian. Mm. And that, to me, is problematic. It's so great to see Filipino faces on screen, 100%. But are there characters being told through a Filipino lens? Most likely not. That's where we fall through the cracks when it comes to representation. Right. We can talk about representation and how it matters all day and how we're excited that representation is happening. But it's, you know, we need to think a little bit more deeply about how we actually do it. I think that kind of goes with how she talked about how there is room at the table for us, Mm -hmm. but we have to demand it. Yeah. I love that Francesca was so passionate about her political beliefs, even though she completely disagreed with a lot of what her father believes politically, she defaults to love in the end, because as human beings, we just want to love and be kind. But right now, it's just a really weird time in 2020. It's an election year. And there's a lot of things that have manifested itself because of, you know, colonial mindset and white supremacy. And that's just a huge conversation these days. And I'm glad that she brought that up. What are your thoughts about how colonial mindset has manifested itself through the political system or through other institutions? Colonized mindset is something that we don't think about because we don't look at our history too often. But history is written by the victor, right? Like, I I can't recall learning about the Filipino-American War too in-depth growing up, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I love how Francesca said that being revolutionary is in our blood, But now when I see our community be silent and put their heads down, that is colonized mindset at its best. Mm -hmm. Because we've been colonized, that is separating us from not only our history and our authentic selves as we were before we became the Philippines. And it's translating into how we approach politics, how we stand up for people who have been marginalized outside of our own community. Mm, mm -hmm. And I think it's important that we look back so that we can move forward. Right. Um, Something that also resonated with me is what we brought Francesca in for. I love, I love how Francesca started the Encompass Collective with her cohort to offer accessible acting lessons specifically for Black, Indigenous, mixed or persons of color. I think it's great. I I do want to clarify, I, I said earlier that theater is elitist and classist and not all theater is elitist and classist. It's important to have these spaces that Francesca and her cohort are creating because Yes, there are elements, there are spaces within the theater and film and TV realm that is not, it's not for us, specifically. Mm -hmm. If you're in an institution or if you're taking a class at some studio out in LA, it's expensive. You know, if you have a dream of being an actor, it's hard. It's hard to learn how to hone that craft. You need to have money. And a lot of folks don't. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts about that and and um, accessibility within these spaces or accessibility in general? One thing that stood out was the fact that, you know, Francesca is a Yale graduate, Yale freaking university. 
right? And this is an elite institution, but she's the one that said, you know, if you can't do the work to be inclusive and support your students who are marginalized, you know, if you're not going to do that work and provide pedagogy that's relevant to today's world, we're going to tell people not to go there. That's, that's very true for a lot of institutions that people hold in high regard. You know, not to speak ill of Yale University, please don't come for me, Yale. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, just to reiterate what Francesca said, you know, there are other ways to do the work that you want to do. And while education is so important for a lot of people, it's a key to social mobility for so many folks. I think it's important to like step back and look at the world today and think, does my industry that I want to step in really require this of me? Mm-hmm. Are credentials that important? Are credentials from an elite institution important? In some cases, perhaps. In some cases, not so much. And I think that's what's really great about what Francesca is doing is she's providing this training, Yale-level training, to people at a rate that they can afford. And I think that's really valuable to folks in terms of accessibility. Yeah, I think taking on a master's degree or an education in this realm or um, like you talked about, like specific industries that don't necessarily require you to have an education in it or a formal education, I'd like to say, um, it doesn't matter sometimes. And, And it's all about what journey you want to take. Yeah. Yeah. That was a hard pill to swallow for me. I think, though, I mean, we can consider education a blessing because mm-hmm. having an education is taken for granted. And the fact that we were able to go to graduate school ourselves, I feel like is a huge privilege. Yeah. Because I do feel like it does open the door up for for us in, in certain ways. But yeah, there's there's more to life and there's more strategies to be successful than just an education or a formal education, as you said. And some of us don't have the privilege of going to school. Mm-hmm. So education should be accessible to mm-hmm. everyone, regardless of what uh, you want to take up. It should be there for you. It should be 100% there for you. So Francesca, thank you for the Encompass Collective. Make sure to subscribe to MeSearch wherever you listen to podcasts. Find new episodes on the first and third Wednesday every month. Check us out at mesearchpodcast.com. And find us on social media at mesearchpodcast. Mesearch is produced and hosted by Dustin Domingo and Crystal Tugatti. Editing by Dustin Domingo. Special thanks to our guest, Francesca Fernandez-McKenzie. Learn more about Francesca and Encompass Collective at francescafm.com. Shoutouts to all our friends and family giving this new podcast a shot. We're going to go ahead and catch you all at the next episode. We're going to get to the bottom of things. This is me, Search, folks. Woo! Woo!